welcome to River City for those who are new, uh, for those who continue to come back. Um, so yeah, so we start off every service uh, reading from the lectionary, uh, which again is just a way for us to be able to unite with other churches all around the world, uh, reading from the passage of Psalm 80, 1 through 2, like you'll see here. Give ear, O shepherd of Israel, you who lead Joseph like a flock. You who are enthroned upon the cherubim, shine forth. Before Ephraim and Benjamin and Manasseh, stir up your might and come to save us. You brought a vine out of Egypt. You drove out the nations and planted it. You cleared the ground for it. It took deep root and filled the land. The mountains were covered with its shade, the mighty cedars with its branches. It sent out its branches to the sea and its shoots to the river. Why then have you broken down its walls so that all who pass along the way pluck its fruit? The boar from the forest ravages it and all that that move in the field feed on it. Turn again, O God of hosts. Look down from heaven and see. Have regard for this vine, the stock that your right hand planted and for the son whom you made strong for yourself. They have burned it with fire. They have cut it down. May they perish at the rebuke of your face. But let your hand be on the man of your right hand, the son of man whom you have made strong for yourself. Then we shall not turn back from you. Give us life, and we will call upon your name. Restore us, O Lord, God of hosts. Let your face shine that we may be saved. So let us pray. Jesus, we just thank you so much. Lord, that even just in this passage, uh, looking back at just the history of your people, God, uh, it's, it's people that are in turmoil. It's people that have felt that you've been cut off from them, God. Uh, but again, it's, it's always returning to the fact that you always restore, Lord. Lord, we just bless you for restoring everything in our life, Lord. Just looking back at just the testimony of everyone here, Lord, we just thank you that you have brought us to this place, the fact that we're here right now. So Lord, just center us, let us be present with the body of Christ today as we worship. Holy Spirit, we just invite you into this place. It's not just lip service, but we really, really desire you. We have expectation to meet with you today. So, Lord, come. Just show us your glory. Show us who you are. Give us new eyes to be able to see you like we haven't before, God. Lord, for people who are just even in that, just that rhythm of of continuing to show up or, or trying to just continue to be faithful in the circumstances that are in, Lord, bring new life. Bring fresh water today, God. Lord, as we just exalt you, meet us in that stir up joy in us the fact that we are in you so again Holy Spirit have your way and we're just excited to see how you reveal yourself today in your name we pray, amen so all God's promises are yes and amen and we don't believe that as much as we do when we're together with the body right? We're moving into a time of prayer, and intercession is when we get to partner with God's promises.
So we become the way in which he is often faithful in the world. He has invited us into a supernatural ability to keep promises. And that's where we step in and we come back with yes and amen. Do it, Lord. Do it, God. Right? Can you guys just say our God reigns? Because we enter into this time of prayer with the collective belief that our God truly does reign. And I want to read you guys this verse. It's in Matthew 12, but it's actually a quote from Isaiah. And it says, spoken of Jesus, Here is my servant whom I have chosen, the one I love and whom I delight. I will put my spirit on him and he will proclaim justice to the nations. He will not quarrel or cry out. No one will hear his voice in the streets. A bruised reed he will not break. And a smoldering wick he will not snuff out till he has brought justice through to victory. In his name, the nations will put their hope. So I just want that to just fuel our prayer this morning. That in his name, the nations will put their hope. And yet if you feel like a flickering reed this morning, he will not snuff you out. So just to place your confidence in God. So we begin our prayer this morning with the universal church, its members and its mission, its gospel mission to spread good news. Will you make us one, Father, even as you and the Son and the Spirit are one? Will you pour out your spirit on all flesh in Jesus' name? For our nation and all those in authority, that you will move with justice and with peace for the common good of all, that the orphan and the widow and the alien would find love by the people of God, that we would be your hands and feet. We pray for the welfare of the world and let us not forget often in our luxury and in our prominence the things that are happening on the other side of the world. God, the people in Kabul, over 30 were killed by a bomb there. We pray for the families and those that are enduring suffering in the Middle East. We pray for those in Hong Kong and the surrounding areas of China as there are protests. And I can tell you guys, I have family living in China. So this affects us personally, that you would protect that justice and righteousness will rule, that you would move us to unity, that the people, God, I pray that the people of God in Hong Kong, in China, in Kabul, in India, in all these places where there is distress, that the people of God would find strength and they would rise up as a refuge. In Jesus' name, God, we pray for our community here in Smyrna. The things that we need as a local community, recognizing that in Smyrna, there's a mayoral race coming up. Will you show us, God, how to steward our responsibility as citizens in Cobb and in Smyrna? How would you have us be in this city? How would you have us speak peace and life? And then finally, 
for those who suffer and are in trouble in this body, in this room, and those we are connected with, family and friends, loved ones, neighbors who are experiencing distress in their mind and in their bodies and in their spirits. God, would we be brave to enter into that with us, even as you, Emmanuel, entered into it with us? Would we not turn a deaf ear or a blind eye? Will we be able to sit in the suffering and the pain of others? Give us wisdom in how to do it. And I just want you to raise your hand if there is someone you know or yourself that you need personal prayer. Jesus, be faithful. All your promises are yes and amen. Will you be God with us, with those? And you guys put your hands up again, those who are brave. And I want you guys to open your eyes. I want you to look around at those who have their hands up. This is an invitation to partner, to pray for, to be with, to be present. God, as a community of RCC, would we be present with those here who need us? In Jesus' name, we thank you that all God's promises are what? Amen. Amen. Let's say a prayer today as we go in. I feel so antsy in a good way because it's been almost two months since I've preached. And it feels like when you go out of school in the summer and then you got to go back to school, like those feelings, the rhythms, five years of preaching and now... So I really don't know what you're about to get. It could be really harsh. It could be super loving. You could not like me. My goal is to preach the texts in a faithful way. And I'm just going to warn you that today's content from the lectionary is not puppy dogs and lollipops. So I know that with the Holy Spirit and with the guidance of community that God uses these types of passages to not prove that he is an angry, wrathful God looking for someone to devour, but to invite us into a conversation with the text. Not where we impose upon the text what we want it to be, but to say, if I know my God is good, why are these texts saying these kinds of things? And it's actually where we lose a lot of people, these kinds of texts, because they think at surface level, this is what God is. This is who he is. This is just affirming all the things I've ever thought, when actually God is good. And he's inviting us into something. And sometimes through the the people who wrote the scriptures, he's shocking us in a way to say, I'm trying to jar you a little bit to realign something. So allow yourself today to be jarred a little bit. That's good. Don't run from that, right? God is good. And that's true. God is not just concerned with making sure you're happy for the rest of your life. He's not. And you might bump into that today. My hopes are you bump into a faithful father that fills you so well that you fill others well. That's the gospel. That's the message of our gospel. And so let's pray real quick. Father, we, we submit ourselves to you, and there's no way to preach a text and gather around it without having our own things thrown into it. We all have a lens in which we approach. We all have discernment when reading texts. So we need your spirit to be alive in this. We need your spirit to quicken our hearts. We need you to wake us, us up to the things that you're asking us to be. Remind us of the mission that you've been on in this city since the city's been here. We are not finally the ones that will make it happen. We say yes to our portion. And show us what that portion is continually. In our pots, we ask you, Jesus, 
Give us a renewed sense of vision and mission for RCC. Help that to happen today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I want to say this to start. There are those of you who have experienced judgment from the church in some real ways and some not real ways. These are to the people who have experienced the real judgment that comes when you've been around a community of believers and feel like they have been harsh and have been harsh. And so some of the tones of this text might trigger you. That's like the new it word, by the way, that and some other ones. You might be triggered by the tone because you have experienced this side of Christianity. And that's real. People have been abused. People in this room have left church. People are leaving church all the time because a lot of times people collect in rooms like this and then impose upon the others these certain things that aren't even necessarily biblical and require them of them. And then there's harsh consequences when those needs aren't met. And so today, that's not what this passage is about. I want to invite you into it to kind of back up from that, right? I said this a few weeks ago, like there's an inner critic in all of us that is doing good, just killing it. Just inner critic, loud voice. I'm asking you to set your inner critic back over here for a bit. Let him or her do as they will. Step over here into a place of faith to say, Father, what is it that you would like to show me in this? What is it that you're guiding me into? And if you feel the cynicism start to rise within you, just ask him to go back over there. Give yourself some space to listen to this. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to go into Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. So, Father, thank you for Isaiah. Thank you for the prophet. Thank you for the Old Testament, which is not now null and void because we have the New Testament. It's now just seen more clearly through the lens of Jesus. He shows us more clearly what that was about. Now, we have love in person showing us what you meant from the beginning. And so we, we read this text and these texts with the heart of discernment, asking how do we reflect inwardly, not asking who do we see that's not this. And we thank you for this. In Jesus' name, amen. So part of Jesus' mission, and Jesus had a mission, we actually, Sarah brought up some of it, was to go into places and share the good news. And there's a couple responses, which are important to know. So one, Jesus came to liberate the captives. Jesus came to find the poor in spirit, and he did a good job of doing that. But he also came to systems and structures that were already set up, that were not impressed by him, but were intimidated and decided they would like to take matters into their own hands. So there's two responses to the mission of Jesus, typically. There's even those responses within you and I when we receive the gospel. There are the parts of us that are poor in spirit. There are those of us like myself who have struggled with shame or inferiority or feeling like I have no idea who I am, that when Jesus' message is spoken into my life, I'm like, yes, and amen, amen. And it makes sense, and I come to life, and I'm drawn to it. And then there's the parts of me that have created ways to live in this world, that have set up systems and structures that are harmful, that when they hear the message of Jesus' gospel inside of me, have immediate responses to it. They're the parts of us that we run from a lot of times. They're the parts we don't like to face. They're the parts that Jesus likes to also get to. That's why I think confession is actually a beautiful thing. Confession in the body has been removed because it's not fun. Like we're, we build rooms full of people to worship God and we remove some of the very things that kept us the body of Christ. 
Please don't scream amen at all those stupid people that do that, but notice it within yourself, what we do with those things. So today, there is a part of being invited into this where we have to venture into ourselves and say yes, and there's a part where we have to allow Jesus to venture in, and he doesn't look like the peacemaker. This is going to be hard for some of us, but I'm going to read to you Isaiah 5, 1 through 7. This is a love song. And this is, this is a clever way to just destroy people. Like this, this is, it's, it's, it's so mean in some ways that it's almost, it makes you think, like, why would he allow that to be said that way? This is, this is just mean. So let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning the vineyard. Amen? This love song we're going to sing. Love song to a Savior. Um, actually got me through a lot, of, a lot of bad years, so dive back into some jars of clay. Let me sing for my beloved my love song concerning his vineyard. My beloved had a vineyard on a fertile hill. He dug it and cleared it of stones and planted it with choice vines. He built a watchtower in it, in the midst of it, and he hewed out a wine vat in it. And then he came looking for grapes. Because what do you expect from a vineyard that someone has taken this kind of care for, right? Thank you very much. That's good. We're good. We're, so we're, we're trucking. Like right now, we are right in there. He expected grapes. But it yielded wild grapes. And just stay there for a second before we go to the next page. The grapes, the difference in the grapes he was looking for in these, there's a grape that produces a giant seed. So it looks really fertile. That's probably not the right word, fertile. But it looks really plump. But it, the seed is so big that there's barely anything coming from it. And then there's the kind that has a smaller seed that's just fat, juicy. You're saying the words with me. She was going, that's, I don't know why that was, why you were doing that, but. Okay, and you're protecting me from saying a word that I shouldn't say right there. I'll probably say it now. Um, no. So the, the grapes weren't what was intended. So this is a love song, right? So this is the part in a love song um, that you're like, well, it's kind of going a different route a little bit. Um, I like the first part. That's, that, that, that side was doing some stuff that was beautiful, but it yielded wild grapes, and you're like, so we need to prepare for whatever's about to come because this person sounds angry already, and then this happens. And now, O inhabitants of Jerusalem, this is the, the clever part where he says, actually, this is not a vineyard. This is the Israelites. And now the inhabitants of Jerusalem and men of Judah judge between me and my vineyard. It's going to be hard for me to get back in a rhythm, guys. So a parable is meant to bring people into a story so that you can put yourself in the midst of it without giving you an answer. So that's why Jesus always spoke in parables. He invited people into a story without saying yes or no's. He was like, you judge for yourself. That's what's happening here. You just heard that story, so judge for yourself. Judge between me and my vineyard. What more was there to do for the vineyard that I have not done for it. When I looked for it to yield grapes, why did it yield wild grapes? And now in the song, you're like, this is a totally different kind of song now. I was like, this, no, there's no more love involved. This is not, Hall and Oates is nowhere near this. This is more Metallica at this point. When I looked for it to yield grapes, da 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 and now I tell you what I will do with my vineyard. I will remove its hedge, and it shall be devoured. And all God's people said, amen. I will break down its wall, and it shall be trampled down. 
I will make it a waste. You're like, easy. Like, love hurts, but come on. I will make it a waste. It shall not be pruned or hoed, and briars and thorns shall grow up. I will also command the cloud. <laughs> it's like, come on, another step. I will also command the clouds that the rain should not rain upon it. And this is, the, this is where the revelation that this is actually God. This is God speaking to the Israelites because no one can command the rain except for whom? God. So this is harsh. This is a different kind of love song. It's a metaphor, of course. This is what's happening now. There's more. There's more. See, see what I'm saying? It's going to take me a little while to get back into this. For the vineyard of the Lord of hosts is the house of Israel, and the men of Judah are his pleasant planting. And he looked for justice, but behold, bloodshed. For righteousness, but behold, outcry. So this is what's happening. God has lavishly given of himself of what is needed for this community. And the community has not done its part. <laughs> this, this message does not land in most of the songs we sing as Christians. We have a firm foundation and a good one of the grace of God, and we should, right? Because we know the opposite and what it is, and we know how badly people need to be drawn into the grace of God. But this passage is speaking about, with the grace of God, are there requirements, Right? Like it's any good relationship you've ever seen and any bad relationship you've ever seen. We talked about pre-service. It's the boyfriend that is so in love with the girlfriend that is just doing everything he should. And the girlfriend settling into not really caring and being a part. It's the idea of love being given so well that something is, respect, something is, is needing to be responded for love to be love and then figuring out, that the, these people aren't doing their portion. So the question is, what is their portion? And that's a hard question because a lot of us would say, to be a Christian, you need to act this way. So we go to the wrong place right here. We decide, no, 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 I know the things that I need to do to be a Christian. I know what he's saying. I know that he's saying for me to not be this vineyard, what I need to do is, and we fill it usually with behaviors that are bad or good. And so then we start, this is when it gets dangerous as Christians, then we start to form groups around behaviors. And that's what we all hate. Because if you can behave this way, you can be in, so you can behave it, and your heart doesn't even have to believe it. So something else is happening. He's saying that these people, and this is a huge clue in what God is asking us to do and you to do. The reason this vineyard is not good and being destroyed is because the grapes are not what they should be. And he says what the grapes are. Does anybody remember? Justice and righteousness. Don't know what you said, but I like that you're involved in it, though. <laughs> I like it. <laughs> Your wife just goes. <laughs> Which is different, right? Because we, and, and here's my, I told Bill, I was like, this is rubbing me the wrong way. Because I've, I've already spent too much time with Christians who believe there's no moral ethic involved. Like, we just do whatever we want. We're in freedom, right? It's for Christ's freedom that he set us free. And we're going to do whatever we want. We're going to form our churches around the things we like. We're going to impose our will upon the body. And I'm just going to make sure everybody's happy. And we're going to smile. And that rubs me the wrong way. Because there's something required. But it's not the requirement. It's not for that purpose. 
So there's no version of Christianity that says you can behave however you want because your behavior hurts or blesses others. Justice, righteousness. This city had forgotten its responsibility to people who didn't look like and act like them. So there were class structures and systems, and there were oppressed. There were those who were pushed away. There were those who were hungry and thirsty, and they did not care. And we know this to be true because God sent prophets to them, and what did the Israelites do to all the prophets? Loved them. No, he did not. They killed them because they had set something up so good. The provision of God was so good. They were the most blessed. That's the truth. And the provision was amazing. They had what they needed. And God sent prophets saying, I think you might have made the provisions your God. I think you might have made an error in the distinctions. And because of that, you think that the provisions is the end. And so these other people that I've given you the provision for to go through you too are now being abused. And it's not okay. And they would say, well, we're God's blessed people and we know that he's forced and not against us. And while you would like us to look at that, we would rather just quench your voice. Do we know anything about quenching the voice of, of that voice in our lives? So he wanted justice and righteousness through them. He created what? Tell me one person who's ever made a vineyard just for their family. You probably know somebody, and I don't want to hear that right now. What's the purpose of a vineyard? A vineyard is to produce good wine, and good wine is to be given in community, to bring cheer, to bring joy. Yes, it can be abused, but that's the purpose. And the better the wine, the better the environment. It's not meant for the workers in the vineyard alone. What are we doing with what he's given us? What are the voices around us? Who are the people in our lives that are hurting. And I'm not just talking about the people that look like us. Who are the people who are legitimately hurting right now? The mission of the gospel of Jesus Christ, it has a way of bringing peace by bringing division. And that's not comfortable to say, because I've preached that so many times. God came to bring peace, and he did. But let's pull up this next passage, which... (laughs) So Jesus... So we talk about Jesus as peace. Actually, can you pull up these pictures that we that depict the Jesus that a lot of us enjoy? Right? So, so we like this version of Jesus that is shepherd, and he is shepherd. There's no, there's no lie involved. He is shepherd. And what does a shepherd do but love and guide? We like this version of Jesus that is healer, and he is that. It's not a lie. It's truth. We like this version of Jesus that kind of, he's never in a bad mood, right? Like, God's never in a bad mood. Well, I don't know that I agree with that. When people are being oppressed, is he happy? I get it, though. Like, he's never, like, angry. He wants to draw you. Like, but we like these versions that we put upon a Jesus that looks absolutely nothing like that. Like, as far away from that as Jesus could look, from color of skin to, like, the whole, I don't know. But we don't like the version of Jesus that comes to divide, but look at him in the Gospels. All you have to do is start reading in Matthew and all the way through. In every area he inserted himself into, there was sharp rebuke. 
and not because he enjoyed being the antagonist. We have too much of that. It doesn't work. I stopped following those people on Facebook because it's annoying and gets nowhere. Whether you're Republican or liberal, it's nonsense. It's not helping. It's not. So we have enough of the antagonist. It was like, well, Jesus came to flip over tables and I can flip over tables. And no, the tables Jesus came to flip over were for the sake of peace. And then people were upset at him. Like there's, there's a cost to the gospel that we say that we believe. And the cost could be everything. It literally could be your life. Literally. It could be your reputation. It could be your finances. It could be your idea of what family should be. It, it could be your future work. It could cost you everything. And it promises nothing like what we feel like it promises a lot of times. So, can you pull up this passage? I, feel, I definitely feel a little fiery today. So, I mean, it's eight weeks. It's just been building up. I came to cast fire on the earth. Push pause right there. I'm like, you did? Are you serious? We literally just preached from this a few weeks ago where the disciples were saying, we went to the town and the Samaritans would not let you stay there. Could we please call fire down on them? And he rebuked. He was like, no, we're not calling fire down on them. You idiots. He didn't say that, but he was like, no, this. So he's saying the opposite thing. And would that fire already be kindled? Well, there's three kinds of fire that we know about. There's one, the Spirit's baptism that happens in Acts, where the fire at Pentecost comes and empowers for mission. It empowers to see outside of themselves. It equips. There's the fire of refinement that comes when Jesus definitely lets us walk into situations that will burn the things out. And then there's the fire of what happens in response to the mission of Jesus. This is a fire that just starts. It's the kind of fire that happens when Jesus walks up to anyone. Say a prostitute thrown at his feet and looks at a group of men and says, let any of you that has not sinned cast. It's the kind of fire that starts. It's the kind of fire when Jesus says that he is God and then people start to want to kill him. It's the kind of fire when you stand for someone who's being oppressed and the powers that be start to attack you. It's the kind of fire that comes with being a Christian. The version that doesn't require this, peace, gospel of peace, there will be a consequence to the gospel of peace. I'm all over, but I like it. I'm liking this. And would it be already kindled? I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how great is my distress until it is accomplished? Do you think that I have come to give peace on earth? What? I mean, literally in the same book, he says, he is the peace king. Do you think that I've come to give peace on earth? No, I tell you, but rather division. What? For from now on, in one house, there will be five divided. Three against two. Two against three. They will be divided. Father against son and son against father. Mother against daughter and daughter against mother. Mother-in-law against her daughter. We all know that's the truth, amen. Hello. <laughs> He said to the crowds, when you see a cloud rising in the west, you say at once, a shower's coming, and so it happens. And when you see the south wind blowing, you say, there will be scorching heat, and it happens. You hypocrites, amen. You know how to interpret the appearance of the earth and sky, but why do you not know how to interpret the present time? These are harsh words 
given to Christians. Well, they weren't. These were about to be Christians. The, the Old Testament was the body that would become Christ's followers. These are harsh words. What do you do with these? Because at first glance, this is the kind of God people have left the Christian faith for. This is the kind of phrase that people have actually fought their families in the name of Christ for. The idea of just war. Even some of the crusades were built around the thought that no one will oppose our God. And if you do, we are called to fight you. That's not what he's saying. He's talking about bigger things. He's talking about how the blood of Christ is actually a more real kinship than a marriage or a father and son or a son and father, that the blood of Christ is the real. I mean, I heard Dr. Green say this a while ago. If you're married, if you happen to be married or not, the truer connection between a husband and wife in Christ is brother and sister. The truer connection is that you are brother and sister in Christ. There's a deeper kinship than even what happens in your familial ties. There's a deeper kinship. And if that kinship requires that you stand for someone and say, the peace of Jesus needs to be in this situation, I will stand in front of this pain for this person, you might be attacked by a family member. It might even divide you. Because the gospel and the blood of Christ are the actual connection. And that has such implications. That means the color of our skins. That means nationality. That means age. That all of those things are secondary to the family bond. It doesn't remove those things, and we should celebrate those things. At the, at the supper, the last supper in Revelation, there are different tribes speaking different tongues together, and he didn't make that different. He wanted that. But the bond is beautiful between so what's being said here, right? Like we love our picture of Jesus as a healer. I mean, in Luke 1, 7, 9, we love the picture of peacemaker, which he is to give light to those who sit in darkness in the shadow of death to guide our feet into the way of peace. I literally felt like last year God had highlighted something about my calling, which isn't for me, that he would be equipping me to be a carrier of the gospel of peace, which made me tear up because that is a fight worthy of carrying to this planet so how do you how do you reconcile that with the God who's saying I can't wait till fire gets here to divide well he's saying some strong stuff he's saying that Jesus was totally devoted to his mission and the way that you connect these two passages because I read these two passages I'm like why does this even have anything to do with each other and it's because of this the things that were required of the Israelites are things they weren't willing to do. And God is God, and he's not angry, ready to devour them, but he loves so well. This is where I today, we were singing our songs, I was like, and we're singing these songs, and they're true. But this bumps into like what I'm, I feel like God's called me to preach. And that is that when we decide we're just going to do what we're going to do, he lets us do that. Like there's this theology that said he will never, even, even if I'm deciding to... to Start a new crusade to harm people. God is not interested in just letting you have peace in that. There, is a, there are things that we can be a part of that he will back away from. And he will let us have what we want. He will give us over to our own desires. 
So it might look like God is an angry, wrathful God that just desires to destroy, but he is a loving God who creates space for you to decide what you will decide, for me to decide what I will decide. But he's still the God that makes the vineyard. He's still the God that creates the space and says, please be lavishly poured out upon. I am doing this for you. But in that doing, know that it is not just about that. I'm going to read you a quote that I hope I can find. I'll, I'll do weird stalling until, until I get to it. It's not. It's the wrong quote. That's a good one, too, though. <laughs> Hold on. i got to look at my page. I'm not going to find it, am I? Page 343. Okay. Yeah, here I am. So strangely, and I, I'll, you guys can take a picture of this after if you'd like. There's too much to put up here. Strangely, God's love for people may even have become part of their problem. Did everybody just hear what I just said? And ours. Like them, we have been well taught on the subject of grace, rightly, and it's good. Don't hear me saying grace is bad. Like, we're not trying to form people into a religious structure and make them behave a certain way. That's not what this is saying. How God chose, how God cleared, how God dug and planted and safeguarded and undertook a thousand other verbs of loving initiative. Lucky us, right? We are infinitely loved and assured. We are therefore relieved of heavy obligations and duties and requirements and are immune to certain ultimate devastations. In no time, we are lounging in the easiest of all the world religions, leaning back into the entitlements of grace and arrogance of heritage. Love was looking for something else. God's love, it turns out, comes with expectations after all. Some of y'all just got upset. It actually says he expected, he expected, he expected in verses 2, 4, and 7 of Isaiah 5. A vineyard is not a plot of geraniums. A vineyard is ground for farming, and a venter is looking for fruit that refreshes, feeds, slakes thirst, pleases palates, gladdens hearts, and provides a happy symbol and center for gathering and sustaining community. This is why rocks were cleared and holes were dug and furrows plowed and hedges put up and walls put around it and a watchtower built. The result, however, unexpected and unnatural, feeds no hunger, slakes no thirst. I don't even know what that word means. Gladdens no hearts, fosters no community. There is, in other words, no justice and no righteousness. That's a heavy word. So, I'm going to close with a couple things in your quietness. God is still singing that song. In Isaiah, that's an accurate picture. You're right to sing about the love of God. You're right that he does this for us. You're right that we want to sit at his feet and drink from the cup in his hands. You're right that he has provided everything that you'll ever need. You're right, you're right, you're right. If this unsettles you, oh, this is where we, this is where we get in trouble. If this unsettles you, instead of saying, well, I know my God's a God of peace. 
I don't know how many times I've been struggling with something that God has been trying to pry out of my life, and I've gotten Christian community around, and they've said, no, God's a God of peace. If you don't feel peace in it, don't do it. I'm like, well, this is a deeper peace. This is the kind of peace that speaks to the brokenness and wants to uproot it. When I've decided that I harbor bitterness against Michael, and I'm just angry. Well, I don't feel peace when I'm around him. Well, God's not in that. No, God is speaking to the, the depths of what he's allowed to happen in my heart because he's given me free will. If you feel unsettled by these things, if you feel unsettled at all, that doesn't mean that that's not God. God is peace. But in most cases, the peace of God is superseded by an unsettling, unfun mix-up before there can be actual peace. It's long obedience. It's saying, yes, I will commit to this, and it's not fun. I've got to speak to this person. I've got to say sorry to whoever, Jason. Like, I've got to, I have to own my stuff. Like, that's peace, in the case of Jesus, unsettled a whole society. So what I think is happening here, and I'll just kind of leave it at this. I got really cheesy in pre-service, like super cheesy. I called everyone fat grapes, so let's all be fat grapes. It's not good theology, but, um, and then I said something that's pretty provocative after that, that I'm not saying here, right? Like, I wouldn't say it here. I didn't mean it to be. I guess if you have that kind of mind, though, I mean, I guess I could see how, I could see how that would happen. So, so this is, this is what these texts are saying. We've been invited into Jesus' mission of the gospel of peace, where there is no owner, slave, freeborn, freeman in their society. There is no, this person's better than this person. And in seeing that, we see that some are mistreated. And when we see that they're mistreated, what does that mean for us? What does that mean for the Christian body? Who are those that stand up and speak to those? Who is God requiring to go do that? Thank you. Marilyn, you heard that. That's awesome. He's requiring it from us. And if we desire to not do it, we are in danger of gathering in places, asking him to take us deeper, and he's already given us everything. If our life's mission is the first four verses of Isaiah 5, we are going to puke out all the goodness. Because he didn't just intend for us to drink deep of him and sit around and talk about it. Because that's good, and I want to do it. But he fills us to what? Is this too strong for some of you? I'm not trying. I'm trying. This is the love of God that I, I mean, to do the work. To be the people who are the spearhead going into the situations that nobody wants to go into and fight for people who need to be fought for. To speak into injustices. And some of us don't want to hear that word because it's attached to something. But listen to me. Oh, I could get provocative. Okay, if you're a Republican and you can't speak into the injustice within your, that party, that's not Christ. If you're a liberal and you can't speak into the injustices within that party, that's not Christ. You don't just take it all and go with it. You are called to speak into the injustices. And just because somebody's packaged something for us, whether it's America or consumerism or individualism or Republican or liberal, they all are not Jesus Christ. So we are required in a way that brings peace to speak into those things. But we're also required 
to spend time in Jesus, and there's a tension, and I'm going to let you wrestle with it. Because I can't, there's no one, two, three. This is an invitation. It's the girlfriend and the boyfriend and the boyfriend realizing, I've been treated like trash for like a year and a half. I need to talk to her. Why are you doing this? Well, I've just seen that you're docile and I can take advantage of you. And, and that girlfriend usually probably breaks up with that guy. And I just, I did all that. I don't know if that's even helpful, but. I mean, I think I've been that, I literally think I've been that guy. And like just allowed, not in this relationship, of course, it's only love, always. It's fierce love. It's sometimes uncomfortably fierce. But what is that? What is God to do with a body that only cares about their own vineyard? What is he to do with that? He gives us over to ourself. I mean, have you ever been standing in a worship service and felt like something is hollow? Like something is empty here. God is calling us to be fat, juicy grapes, not for ourselves. That's all I got. Jesus, I thank you for our community. If you guys would stand with me. And I'm going to close with this as you're standing. Close your eyes with me really quick. This is called Imaginative Prayer. It's one of the chapters in the book, Jason, that you're going to probably read this next week. Okay? Celebration of Discipline. Imaginative Prayer. Close your eyes. I want you to picture Jesus approaching you. And in one hand, he's got some of that good bread, whatever it is for you. And it's warm. And in the other hand, he's got this big cup. And it's the blood of Christ. And it's been spilled out for you. And he is approaching you. And he walks up to you. And he is right in front of you. And he asks you, please drink. Please eat. Imagine yourself being filled with the life of Christ, being accepted as son and daughter and co-heir, being said, you are mine. I am for you. He's speaking that over you and into you. Stay where you are. Then he hands you the bread and the wine. And he asks what you're going to do with it. Are you going to drink it all? <laughs> are you going to eat it all? Or are there people he is calling you to that are poor in spirit? They can even be rich and be poor in spirit. Who are oppressed, who are broken, who are in shame, who have no idea who they are, who are crying on the inside with a plastic face on the outside. And they're all around you. They're literally everyone in your life. Thirsty and hungry like the woman at the well looking for a deeper, more sustaining meal. Will you drink it and eat it all? Or will you take it and give it? For the next few moments, we're going to close. And there's going to be prayer. If you would like it and you need it, please let us pray for you. Jesus, we thank you for the body and blood of Christ and that we get to gather as your children co-heirs and co-laborers sent on a mission, not for our identity. No one who works more gets more. We serve and we love and we turn the other cheek because you did. You still do. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Thank you again for joining us today, and please visit our website at rivercitysmyrna.com.